Hey, everybody. I've got a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode about Instagram and Theology Beer Camp. So I've been getting more active on Instagram, and I just want to let you guys know, in case you want to see me make some videos where I look directly into the camera, I'm sharing some stories and posts about basically all the topics that we cover on this show over at Instagram.com slash Dan Coke. That's C-O-K-E, and the link is in the show notes. Also, Theology Beer Camp is returning in 2024, October 17th through 19th. The theme is Return of the God Pods. That is a Lord of the Rings reference, which should surprise nobody. I will be there alongside Brian McLaren, Diana Butler-Bass, the New Evangelicals, Bible for Normal People, Tony and Josh from GGCH, of course, Trip Fuller and Homebrewed Christianity, and a whole grip of others. And you can use the promo code RETURNOFYHP, all one word, for $25 off your ticket. Prices go up starting June 1st. That link will be in the notes. I hope to see a bunch of you guys there in October. It was a serious highlight of last year for me. Everyone gets AT&T's best deal on the new iPhone 14. So people currently listening to comedy podcasts and people listening to self-help podcasts and people listening to true crime podcasts who actually can't stop listening to true crime podcasts. The point is everyone, new and existing customers, ask how to get the new iPhone 14 on us with eligible trade-in. Visit att.com or stores for details. Terms and restrictions may apply. My name is Dan Koch. Like many of you, I've been on a complicated faith journey for a number of years now. And while I tend to find myself on the progressive side of Christianity, my goal is not to make liberal converts. I want this show to be a resource for Christians to my right and to my left, as well as former Christians and non-religious folks, anyone who finds themselves asking difficult questions about God, science, prayer, fate, suffering, evangelism, and more. So many of us have been given bad answers to those good questions, often by people with pure intentions. I want to say that you have permission to take both Christianity and the modern world very seriously. And I hope to facilitate that by introducing you to people seeking God across the Christian spectrum, engaging hard questions in a multitude of ways. Thanks for listening. So (laughs) the story of this episode is that I was talking with my friend, Sari, who is joining us today, among, among others, about what could we do for the 100th episode of You Have Permission. How can we celebrate this? Should we have some sort of party episode? Should we do some sort of retrospective? And somewhere along the lines, the idea came up as a joke that we should do an episode about the Enneagram because I am fairly known for my Enneagram skepticism. And I thought, hell yeah, that's the one. I don't take myself that seriously. So let's celebrate 100 episodes by doing an episode on something that I don't think is really real. Uh, And then it turns out that due to scheduling, we couldn't do it until episode 101. So here we are celebrating 100 episodes, an episode late about a topic that I don't care for. And, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. So I think that was Sari's idea. 
And I think she was kidding. And I'm grateful that she brought it up. A few of you, a minority of you, are thinking right now, what is the Enneagram? I don't know what you're talking about. But it is a minority of you because the Enneagram is the pseudo-psychological darling of the evangelical world and the post-evangelical progressive world somehow simultaneously. I don't know how it has done that. Uh, It is one of the most successful, uh, I don't know, incursions into the broadly speaking evangelical and post-evangelical subculture of anything in the last 30 years. If you don't know anything about it, here here I'll quote from the Wikipedia page. It is a model of the human psyche, which is principally understood and taught as a typology of nine interconnected personality types. Richard Rohr has written a book about it called The Sacred Enneagram. There are multiple podcasts in the Christian space devoted exclusively to the Enneagram. And Enneagram books, especially in Christian publishing, sell like hotcakes. But is it real? Does it measure real things? Or is it closer to something like astrology? Uh, This is the conversation, friendly debate, uh, humorous, I don't know, interaction topic that we are going to have today. I'm joined by four of my very good friends. I'll introduce them later. There's not much else to say here except I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I actually had a lot of fun with it. uh, And so I turned out to be right that it would be a good way to celebrate 101. Okay, I'll stop talking. Let's get into it. Welcome, everybody, to what is undeniably a very special episode of You Have Permission. I have never interviewed a single person in 100 episodes about the Enneagram, which I think puts me in the 98th percentile of progressive Christian podcasts on that topic. And so we thought it would be funny to kind of basically roast me by doing an Enneagram episode to celebrate 101 episodes. So here we are. I'm not here against my will, but I am drinking because I don't think I could talk about the Enneagram for an hour and a half or two hours without drinking because I kind of get mad about it. But the five of us here are going to take sort of different perspectives on it. I'm going to be a little more curmudgeon maybe than I actually am because I'm going to play that role. But let me introduce everyone else and they can tell you the kind of role that they are playing or the perspective that they are taking with the Enneagram here today. So first of all, I've already mentioned Sari. This is Sari Martin Concepcion, collaborator of mine on SoYourDeconstructing.com and uh, science and theology project wizard. Sari, what's your perspective today? Is that a good <laughs> description of your job? Sure. You are, you're the project wizard. Yeah, that's fine. Wizard is good. What's uh, what's your perspective on the Enneagram that you're taking oh today? Oh my goodness. I'm going first. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. My perspective is that it is a tool and that it can be a good tool for getting to know yourself better, becoming self-aware. I'm not thinking of it as a scientific tool. So although there are many scientific, psychological personality tests, I'm not calling it that. I'm not including that in that category. I'm thinking of it more like how you would feel if you were listening to MXPX Teenage Politics for the first time. And you're like, wow, I didn't have categories 
to talk about how I'm feeling right now at this stage and age of my life. And my career just nailed it. And now I feel like it gives you language for an experience. Yeah, not just language, though. I would say there's like also that. I don't know. That thing that art does, that ineffable. The vibe. The vibe. The vibe. The, vibe, the, the narratives, all of that. That makes you feel part of something. And The sweaty bass player in black leather with studs okay. on it who flips his bass yeah. up in the air. Who never seems to age. Yeah, what is with that? Um, okay. <laughs> true story. He is the it Dick is Clark it's... of Christian punk. <laughs> yeah, Mike Carrera, uh, may, he, never, he, may, he may never age. Um <laughs> Living, living his best life, truly. Okay, thank you, Sari. Next up is Myron Penner, Myron A. Penner, the philosopher for British Columbia. By the way, I should say, if you haven't picked up on this, this is the same crew from the SellYourDeconstructing.com launch episode. We've got the Wrecking Crew back here. Myron, what is the position you are taking or the angle you're coming from? Well, the first thing I want to say, Dan, is that uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to, I'm going to make your curmudgeonly disposition for this episode seem very centrist. Uh, oh, you're I, going I, even harder. Oh man, I think I think that the enneagram is emblematic of almost all that's wrong with society today. <laughs> oh I, hell yeah! Okay, that, all right, uh, all yeah, right. So we can go into more detail right now, or I can kind of save that uh, for coming attractions. But I, I think that. The purveying of snake oil has a long and respective tradition in civilized societies. <laughs> wow. And I would put the Enneagram as kind of the most uh, significant iteration that has captured the hearts and minds uh, of all types of people across the spectrum, including uh, our sisters and brothers in the Christian faith who put a little bit of Jesus dust in the snake oil and out pops the nine types of the Enneagram. So. <laughs> wow. wow. Compelling. I am so damn pleased to hear that that's where you're going to come from today, Myron. <laughs> thank you so much. All right, Sarah Lane Ritchie, what's your uh, what's your angle or view here? Oh, my God, guys. The irony. This is, like, the most ironic situation I've been in in a long time. I'm usually the one bringing, like, the science hammer and, like, quashing all of your idealistic spiritual dreams. And, like, exactly. am I going to be the one here, like, defending the Enneagram against all of you pretentious, arrogant, psychological snobs? Like, this is, like... <laughs> This is pretty special. Okay, guys, listen. It's super trendy right now to hate on the Enneagram. It's so trendy. Everybody who has, like, five minutes of psych science is doing it. They love to, like, pan everybody who is signing up to anything, like, pseudoscientific, spiritualistic. But, like, I'm with Sari. I don't think that this should be viewed as a personality test. Or if it is being viewed as a personality test by some, I don't think it's playing that role in the lives of people who are actually engaging with it. And if you, like, move away from language around, like, validity and reliability and uh, personality (laughs) and, like, metric... Then you get to a position where you can actually see that it's playing a really important role in people's lives and they're engaging with it and they're feeling themselves being seen and they're able to put language around their experience of inhabiting this world. And then they are able to communicate to other people and have a shared language for their root positions, their orientations, their kind of like base ways of engaging with each other and themselves my experience when I first discovered the Enneagram, it felt like the penny dropping. It was like the first time in my life when I read a description of a sort of person who inhabits the world in a certain way. I take it down to like, you know, fairly reliable um, personality tests, but it's the first time that I ever felt, you know what? I might be okay. Like there might be a way to think of like the way that I am, the way that I exist in the world as not only being like, okay, but there are others out there like me. So 
I mean, if that's what it does for people, then who cares if it's like reliable or valid? Call it whatever you want. If you don't want to call it a personality test, don't call it a personality test. Call it a, a tool where you can locate yourself in the world. This is just shaping up to be even better than I thought it could be. Uh, all right. Trip Fuller, host of the Homebrewed Christianity Podcast. What do you think? What's your angle lens here? Well, um, I, I know a lot about the Enneagram. Like, I have looked up some really sweet blogs, mostly that equate Enneagram numbers to characters in Lord of the Rings, because I understand that mythology more than most people with PhDs that like to admit to their friends. But I have some friends I work out all my serious issues with by Lord of the Rings references. And I really feel like we're right now at peak Enneagram in, in like, you know, the non-Trump Christians, you know, the ones that still like Jesus. So I've decided after looking at a few websites and talking to all my friends that talk about the Enneagram, that it's probably wonderfully accurate and I should trust it. And so now while I don't actually know why I should, I will be discovering it using the Google while y'all are talking and letting you know just how accurate the Enneagram is. And if not, I'll just say things because I'll put it this way, Dan, this is my heartfelt story. Cause I know this helps prove objectivity. I talked to my mom about it uh, this evening and she's in an Enneagram group hmm. and she told me multiple stories of people whose lives are better because they're in the Enneagram group. And I know that their testimonies, I don't want to tell them that they're lying. So it must be true. So yeah, this is like more accurate than Tony Fauci. You also accurately okay. called Myron's based on his similarity to which character from Lord of the Rings was it? I don't have that up right now. I was Sorry. talking. To you, okay, so I have I'm, to go trip, back to trip. Go ahead and pull that up because in a little bit, I think what we're going to do before we get into the debate is we're going to each say what we think our type is, and then I would also like you to tell us. Which, as we go, we'll ask you what Lord of the Rings character that if is. If you okay? translate the the script inside the ring, isn't it one type to rule them all? Isn't that the <laughs> well? No, there's a there's a dominatrix type. Guys, but... it the whole thing is a ring. Okay, it's a yeah. circle with nine <laughs> points. That's the ring. The Enneagram is the ring to rule them all. <laughs> all right. So now I'm gonna let me say a little more about my position. But before I do that, I just want to be clear. I'm taking off my hat as Dan, the host of You Have Permission. That uh, hat, I don't know. Well, as a PhD student in psychology, you love the Enneagram. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I am generally hosting this show and interacting with the Facebook group and everything, I try not to be overly judgmental. My, You aren't judgmental towards conservative things. As someone who's generally more progressive, let's just say that you're, you're claiming to be moderate comes across a sweeping dismissal to anything to your left. That's how it reads. Hey but that's probably related to your number. I haven't Googled it yet. <laughs> it's related to my Enneagram number? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Because Sarah nodded like she agreed. So I think it's related to your Enneagram number, and that's why it's accurate. Okay. So anyway, I, I don't want to, generally speaking, dismiss people's experiences, especially anything that has brought them closer to God as far as they can tell. And so I would like you, if, if you are a listener who has found the Enneagram helpful, I would like you to listen as I take off 
the hat of the person who is so glad for you and your spiritual insight and put on another hat, which is my cantankerous, evidence-based, you know, jerk self. And that's the more the position I'm going to take today. So I just need to say that. And so here's my position. It is a two-part argument, two premises. Premise number one, the Enneagram is in fact a f***ing personality test. It describes personalities, nine of them in fact, and 36 subtypes of personalities. Premise two, there are way better personality tests. So it does good for people, but it does good in the way that any kind of personality test, any sort of self-examination of any kind that is not insane would do people. So I'm not surprised that the Enneagram works in people's lives, just like I'm not surprised that Myers-Briggs works in people's lives or taking the big five works in people's lives or whatever. And there is a kind of a, the language that a lot of Enneagram practitioners use is more of that wisdom tradition, kind of ancient Christian language. And I think that language has its own kind of power for people, but I don't necessarily think that that's linked to anything unique to the Enneagram. So that is my position that I'll be going with and arguing for vociferously as the uh, alcoholic drinks allow. So, or perhaps increase. So now I think we should, no, no conversation about the Enneagram is complete without some basic identification of one's type. I will start to the extent that I understand the Enneagram. And by the way, I went back and took a longer test. This one was like 80 questions or something. And it split me between a seven and a three. The three part of me is the one who wants recognition. This is the one, this is the part of me that starts a public facing podcast, for instance, and who wants to write books and be considered a thought leader and who likes the fact that I own my home, that it's nice and that sometimes doesn't like when I go to other people's homes that are nicer. Okay. That the competitive part of me, but mostly I think I'm a seven which is the enthusiast. I like to try things. I like to travel. I, I love. And then most importantly, and this is the thing that has genuinely helped me about the Enneagram, but I will say I also learned it in therapy, is that I run from bad feelings by going to <sighs> unique experiences or good experiences. That could be food. That could be watching a movie. That could be smoking a cigarette back when I did that occasionally. Whatever it is, something to like get me some endorphins because I'm feeling bad. That is what the seven apparently does according to the Enneagram. So that's my number. I think seven more than three. I think I was trying to be really honest about caring what people think. And so I got more three this time around. I'd never gotten a three before on the test. Trip, if I'm a seven, which character from Lord of the Rings am I? I actually found this other quiz. It also has characters from other things in it, which is okay. helpful. It was my new favorite. And then what's your, what's your Myers-Briggs? I found this really cool blog that correlates hobbits to Myers-Briggs and Enneagram numbers. So if you give me both, then I can incorporate no, more I'm statistical just, data. I'm going to make an executive decision here. You could combine two forms of pseudoscience <laughs> and, and multiply them by each other. Yeah, right? but that's because the so internet is a science. source of all truth. Yes, 
So I'm anyway, glad you understand. I'm not going to tell you my Myers Briggs. I will tell one little story though about Myers Briggs. We we did do that as part of a class on personality types in my program. You're ENFJ. ENTP. But listen, <laughs> the ENTP is I know. The funny thing was, this is a spoiler alert if you haven't watched all of Game of Thrones. Skip ahead 30 seconds. I have a, a Game of Thrones quiz if you want it. No, but listen, too. I have to do this within 30 seconds. Okay. The hero is what the ENTP is. And one of the big avatars was Khaleesi in Game of Thrones. And I was like, guys, you need to f-ing update your website. <laughs> yeah, they didn't finish. They, no. they had not finished the show before they put her as the hero, which I thought was very funny. But I'm a seven. So give me my Lord of the Rings character. So your your peregrine took. Okay. I just want to go eat and smoke my pipe. and. But see – if you incorporate the Myers Briggs, you're Mary, right? Yeah, this is exactly why I don't like the Enneagram. Okay, um, <laughs> who's next? Okay, we'll just go in order. Sari, what's Do your you like number? Farthing tobacco. That was one of the other questions that helps you figure out which one of the <laughs> which kind of pipe tobacco you, you like. All right, Sari, what do you think your number is on the Enneagram? I don't think I know. And first of all, have you taken oh. the Big Five, which is like whatever the most legit personality? Yeah. It's totally boring and not 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 revelatory in the slightest. Uh, not insightful. I disagree, but I disagree. <laughs> it might as well have told well, me that you know, it, you know, I'm a white woman in my 30s. That's <laughs> yes. no, no, no. Here's the like, thing it's about but here's, it tells you nothing. It's like the, no. the least helpful tool. Like, it might measure something, but it is not helpful to any human who's ever walked this planet. I totally disagree. <laughs> There's utility. I mean, usefulness is said many ways, right? I mean, exactly, Myron. Like the usefulness. Well, let me just yeah. identify myself as an authority on what's helpful because I'm a chew, bitches. <laughs> a two. <laughs> You're the helper. But I do have a really strong wing three. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna move through this kind of quickly because I want to get into the debate. So Trip, what's He's a, a two? Samwise. That's right. Samwise. Oh, She's Samwise. Samwise Everyone okay. wants to be Sam. Okay. Uh Myron, you're also a two? Yeah, I'm I'm a two sub three, so uh Sari and I are basically two sides of the same coin. Okay, beautiful. And yet we disagree so violently <laughs> on the Enneagram, which proves that it's complete bullshit. I love that. That's great. Uh, Sarah, what if it's both and? It's inclusive. Sarah Lane Ritchie, what's your Enneagram number? I bet you could probably predict what our numbers would be just based on how we feel about the Enneagram, to be honest. So I'm a really strong four-wing three. So it's like I'm the individualist romantic, but like with a strong performer, like three-wing. And I present as a three almost always. Like when I walk into a room... It's like I, my whole being like instantly senses what I need to do to perform in that situation. So I like morph to the excellence that is like required by any given group. And like, I will just perform. So it's like grades or being like the party or being funny or being serious, like whatever is required by the situation, I'll try and perform at that. But it's in service of my like deep, deep, like lifelong feeling that there's something like eternally wrong with me and missing in my soul and a desperate desire to be known and seen and loved and feeling like I'm just different than everybody else in the whole entire world. So my performance wing really is like me trying to work out this sense of just like not being okay, a sense of like the darkness in the world and inside of myself and just like trying to deal with that when I don't feel connected to anybody else in humanity. 
That is exactly how my husband describes himself, who also found the Enneagram very helpful. I wonder if fours generally find Enneagram super helpful. (laughs) That's because Richard Ward thinks fours are special. (laughs) Interesting that these questions are actually testable and we could actually survey them and get data to determine whether or not what's being claimed is accurate. But who wants to go that way? Because as long as we think that it's helpful, we can just go with it. Guys, it's worth remembering that the placebo effect is real and confers benefits on people. Placebo effect is not neutral. If you think you're doing something good for yourself, you do improve and you can quantify that. So let's just remember that. Trip, what's a, what's a four on, in Lord of the Rings? Well, there's a number of them. And I was thinking through this because I knew Sarah was a four. And, you know, some are like Frodo Baggins is a four. Uh, others Boromir and others Faramir. And I think Sarah's definitely a Faramir because, you know, Boromir was the older brother. He dies. Faramir, on the un- one hand, is always wrestling with the gift of his identity and his place in that family. And he simultaneously wants to be faithful, but he also recognizes the inherent goodness of other people's quests and other people's places. And so, uh, while he's in that struggle, he's also the one blessed with the vision of Boromir post-death that is able to tell the story to the people and, and his dad, right? That's right. I say like Boromir died with honor. I saw the vision of him coming down, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I'm saying this as if you all recently read Lord of the Rings. And so uh, I think that Boromir is someone who fits it above all the fours. Here's the, the Lord of the Rings description of... <laughs> Boromir is sensitive, creative, deeply in touch with his own emotions, feel like uh, he has no identity. So his deepest desire is to find themselves and their personal significance through the working of other traditions and stories. And yet in those explorations, they come to find a deeper sense of their own self. They simultaneously want to affirm the desire for exploration and the freedom to try on various identities in the face of of goodness. So it's the goodness in the face of identities for Faramir. And that's how you distinguish Faramir and, and, and Frodo, because Frodo could never shake off the identity he was handed with the ring. What was Faramir's uh, perspective on psychedelics? Uh, well, um, <laughs> by the way, I just I'm going to guess say- that if he, if he uh, had the option and his implicit duty to things he was committed to under a safe location, he would uh, have a very strategic Maybe the vision of Boromir was actually psychedelic-induced. Now we're just describing Sarah and pretending that we're describing Foromir. <laughs> no, um, I, was, I went through – I had multiple – As long as it's useful, I had multiple – I have quite a few Lord of the Rings-related personality tests pulled up, and so I went through reading them. <laughs> and then there was a discussion about how you differentiate your wings. And I don't know which wing the Boromir one, the Formir over Boromir or Frodo yeah. one was. I was just reading. I was like, hell yeah, that's Sarah. And then, you know, having uh, reread Lord of the Rings recently in lockdown, I said, I can make this work. Yeah. And, and if I let you, you could make a whole episode out of it. So I'm going to try and hem it in a little bit. Uh, I, will, I just want to say for listeners that Sarah was just like beaming and – and like nodding as you described her character, uh, because personality tests, I think, because they do, they do actually help us. Like it's always helpful. 
you know, there are discrete personalities in the world and you can use language to describe them. The question is, how accurate are the descriptions? Uh, Trip, is that the question? You're up. How accurate? That's not the question. Or not, that's not the does it cause more harm than good? I thought that's what we were talking about. Well, that's interesting. I don't. We don't even necessarily need to agree on what the important issue is here. But I would say, for my argument anyway, it is about how good it is. Because if indeed the Enneagram is a personality test, which I argue that it is, then I think yes, we should premise just use. One, you got to remember. <laughs> it's what. Premise one. Oh, I, I always joke. You're like the only podcaster I know that in the middle of an interview proceeds to stay back to the person, how you've organized their thoughts. And I just love it. I was like, only Dan does this. Like, you're like, like even the one that just came out, episode 100, where you're just like, okay, so. And then like you insert your premises. And I'm like, I love Dan. It's like, oh, because exactly you don't what have talking to Dan is like, if you don't have a visual aid. You basically need an audio map. If, if, only he would have brought, to... if only he would have brought that precision to scheduling episodes, this would have actually been episode 100. <laughs> uh, Myron, you were the one who couldn't record on time. Okay. Oh, uh, hey, trip. Myron's on anyway. your side. <laughs> I know. I should not, I should not be firing pot shots no. at Myron here because he's my – but I don't want this trip. I'm a little worried here. If you end up skeptical, it's going to be like – the guys don't I'm like the Enneagram. I Googled this. I think every one of us is a Lord of the Rings character and it's okay. perfectly brilliant. Because I don't I want it to be. multiple Lord of the Rings websites that correlates our numbers. And I think if it makes If I understand Trip's type correctly, though, he's the challenger, which makes sense with his personality. But I'm surprised he's not more challenging to the Enneagram. But he is challenging oh. to you, Dan, the, as a person. too skeptical. It sounds more fun. He's definitely Sounds happy more fun to, to take the pro enneagram side if everyone's all like skeptical. Right? Okay. So it. he's gonna be the minority. I prefer minority yep, yep, opinions because I don't know if you were persuasive. I also really enjoy trip. How openly combative you're willing to be with me today, and I truly am enjoying it. So, what's your number? Well, Dan, me giving you a hard time is this type of affirmation. It is. It truly. Okay, I was is. just making sure it's clear. You said that, and I was like, "Whoa!" I thought this was part of the joke. Right, it's a roast. I was no, playing along. I'm, I'm way into it. I'm, you the said whole episode roast is, you. This whole episode is basically a roast. Why yeah. the fuck well, are we doing guess the what? You got two, as a you celebration? You got two Samwise. Like you got two I little do. Sams. I got two. Like Sam. you know that Myron is going to have thought through, and is not going to make it too personal when he tries to put you down. True. And Sari doesn't even know how to be that mean because deep down she's just got a Michael W. Smith heart, just friends are friends forever. And so I, I, was, I was just trying to be difficult. Myron sends me like five affirmations regularly spaced throughout a few month period just so that when he does have a criticism, <laughs> I'll receive it. <laughs> Such a two, Myron. Okay, oh, Trip. What's your friends? What's your let number? us let us commit that the Enneagram will not disband our fellowship. Right. It will not rend us asunder. It will not. Is that I, I hope not. a real? Is that a so, verb um, phrase you can my, use? I'll okay. just say my numbers quickly because I I took that test y'all sent in our Facebook group. Yeah. It said I was a three. Mm, mm-hmm. My mom, who's very hardcore in the Enneagram. Because when I left home and we got kicked out of being Baptists, they became like, you know, retirees that go to protests and love Richard Rohr style Christians. 
and only eat meat once a week regretfully because my dad still wants to and like has a house that works off the grid. Like they're just, they, they're not the people I grew up with. And my grandparents as grandparents are great, but uh, they're into the Enneagram really yeah. into the Enneagram. I joked about it being skeptical once and it was not appreciated. So what did she say your number is? Uh, she said I'm a seven. Which with is what I am. Yeah. Alicia was like, you're an eight with a seven wing. But the test said I was a three. So I wa- and so she was like, you got to watch the videos. Oh, my God. And the only one that emotionally pulled me was the uh, the three wing video. So, okay. Um, yeah, right. I but, find that. Wait, the, so three, I, the three wing or the three video? No, the three video. The yeah, video okay. on threes. I watched that one. The one that makes you feel kind of shitty about yourself is the one you probably are. Or like makes you feel kind of like yeah. uncomfortable. That's what Sari said. And well, so then I then am she a was three. like, do you like, what was it you texted me the other day? It was the worst text I've ever received from someone. Like, would you rather be looked down upon by everyone <laughs> around you or know you're inferior? Something like that. Right? Like, and I'm like, what the hell? Like, I thought you were a Samwise. And she's just like, Frodo, which is worse? I was trying worse? to be helpful and, by helping you identify no, your deepest fear. <laughs> But but, well, clear, but clearly so, the right answer is to know that you're inferior, right? Because well, if you are inferior, wouldn't you rather know that? Oh, don't answer that question like a philosopher, Myron. Well, <laughs> yeah, come on, Myron. Come on, Myron. All right. So I, but I, I would just say like uh, when I read it, I was like, okay, well, the three makes more sense than I thought it did before. So I don't know. I'm uh, okay. But if you I'm are a, a three, what's the Lord of the Rings I'm character? Poly when it comes to the numbers. <laughs> Your Enneagram polyamorous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just realized we haven't explained what the Enneagram is. I'll have to put that in the intro. Okay. <laughs> Good luck. Some people, some people will not oh, know. Oh, that's so sad. Who? I do that's, not somebody think will not know. that in the intro. <laughs> I so, have to give like two sentences on it. I in think case you're, so, so let's put it this way. Good. I would say it's, 90% are good, but maybe 10% don't <laughs> was, know about it. And that and that is a fucking shame that ninety percent of them know the enneagram, but I bet you only thirty percent know their attachment style. That's what I'm saying, because well, attachment style predicts way more fulfillment in life, flourishing. This is kind of my whole point here. Well, trip. Sorry, well, Dan, so you, I just what, want you to know. So who's your that character? I decided I was going to go with a three just yeah. because. A healthy three is a Gimli. <laughs> Gimli. I'm so glad yeah. you're Gimli. That's and good. Gimli, Gimli throughout Lord of the Rings, he's someone who has desires deep integrity, but uh, struggles with the desire to see that integrity without the frameworks that they were born into. And so the triumph of Gimli is the, his recognition of the full personhood of Legolas, his insistence that he'll go with Legolas. Um, back to the forests of Erendor and uh, and see like all the elf lands before Legolas goes with him to the mines. And then they end up, if you read, uh, you know, outside of the Lord of the Rings, he's the only dwarf who goes to the elvish lands, right? So he's so is formed by his friendship and moves beyond the boundaries of normal dwarfness. They, they change and that and because he decides to live with integrity and had promised once they became friends to always journey with him. And so, like, I, I felt like if you're describing me, my deepest desire is to be to have integrity. When I'm uncomfortable, I always, like, have to watch myself 
because I'll just say whatever I have to say in any given moment. And then like, which is what the threes like tendency is, they'll just start saying bullshit. And so what was it? Richard Rohr is like, well, they struggle with integrity in their deepest one. And then deep down, they have to worry about deception. And then like, and you experience as a three as fraud, right? So like what it comes across as deception to someone else is you wrestling with whether or not you're a fraud in mm-hmm. yourself. And Gimli has this whole thing running throughout Lord of the Rings as what does it mean to be a dwarf with this vision <laughs> of and being a minority perspective, not like minority, like we think minority, but like the only dwarf on, on the thing representing his people and having this attachment with this one that's supposedly there, you know, on the outside. And then what is Gimli the one that moves like when he's doing his best, he's accommodating to others because of his strengths. And I was like, oh, I like that. The worst ones, though, are Boromir. That's Boromir within the, that frame is bad. Like, that's their bad side. You don't want to do that. <laughs> so something, trip that you said about your mom, I think it's a kind of a nice entrance into this conversation. So you said, now, I took the test these multiple times. I got these different answers. But my mom is really into it. And the implication there is that someone who's really into the Enneagram would know better or would be able to help you find your number because they have essentially experience or expertise. However, this is a problem with the Enneagram. I'm going to give a very brief research lesson here on a term called reliability. So when people make measures – there are two main I think questions. You should give your members the video version of this. Yes, I know. So that Sarah can be shaking her head. But listen, validity is whether a We're thing you're trying to describe. Validity right here. Yeah, I'm dance planning. Validity is like, does the thing you're measuring, like let's say self-esteem or depression or anxiety or whatever, does it map onto something in the real world? That's validity. Reliability is more like imagine a target with a bullseye. When you fire a bunch of arrows, when you take a bunch of measurements, do they cluster together? That is, when you run the same test a bunch of different times, do you get similar answers? And if you do, then that's reliable. That means whatever you're doing, it's producing a similar result. This is a major problem with the Enneagram, whether or not it is it, it exists in some sort of metaphysical form, nobody agrees on how to measure it. So I've taken multiple Enneagram tests at various times. They have different questions. As far as I can tell, each person who makes one of these tests just takes the types and writes down nine statements that correlate with each of the nine. And then you get 81 questions and it's a simple mathematical thing. But why are they picking those ones? When people form statistically rigorous evidence-based personality tests, they do a lot of work to figure out which items they should ask. For instance, when I interviewed the guys who did the Hell Anxiety Scale about a year ago, they had a total of like 30 prompts that they asked people, and then they ran it through statistical analysis, and they ended up with nine. These nine most succinctly capture anxiety about hell on this big population of people who vary in these various ways. No one has ever done that. That's called a factor analysis test on any Enneagram test ever, as far as I can tell. So it's just like we have these archetypes. There are these types and someone goes, well, these are the kinds of things a three would say. And then that's your 
fucking test. And that's not how you learn things about the complicated nature of human minds. That's not the point of the Enneagram. Somebody respond. That's not. It is, though. Everybody who tells me it's not a personality test, what is it then? It's a personality test. I acknowledge that people that use the Enneagram a lot go wrong when they call it a personality test. Because if you are are evaluating it with the criteria that all psychological tests are, like, evaluated by, it's not going to succeed. But that is not the function it actually plays for people. It's not trying to, it's not like listing of, you know, a, a bunch of platonic forms that, you know, it's going to then like slot people into. Right. It's giving people a variety of like root positions of basic kind of like orientations and thrusts and kind of like home bases and trying to help people see how they respond to life in the world, like the things that are driving them, the the basic kind of ways that they might differ from other people around them. It's fluid. Like who cares? That is a, that's personality. What is the term for that? If not personality. So yes. Think about the big five, which you think is boring. (laughs) Openness to experience, for instance. Okay. This is like, and I know you know this, but I'll repeat it for listeners who don't know. This is like, say some new stimulus is introduced into your life or somebody recommends a trip or a new kind of food or whatever. Like, how open are you to people in your grocery store that you can overhear speaking another language? That is a personality measurement or measure or whatever, factor, trait. So when you said big five, you didn't mean tulip. No, I mean ocean, also known as ocean. That's the really big five. (laughs) Like – this is the thing. People say it's not a personality test. It's a so a friend said to me, it's like a it's a tool to be used with a spiritual director. And to which I say, and what does that tool show you? Well, it shows you kind of where you're wounded, how you respond versus the way that other people might respond to the same stimulus. Oh, so a personality test. Like, I don't know what else to call it. All right. Let me, let me That's ask what question, personality yeah. is. No, go, Myron, you go ahead and then I'll ask you a question. No, no, I, I feel like uh, we've been talking a lot, uh, Sarah. Byron I, I defer. Said what number he is? You no, did. I did. Thanks, thanks for listening, Trip. He's the same as Sari. Well, I knew that, but has he said that? Uh, yeah, we, I'm a two we, sub three, yes, or two wing three. Two, he did. But well, Trip, I've you were too busy. So. You, were, you were too busy looking <laughs> up your additional Lord of the Rings personality. No, because test I websites. had a quote set for when Myron shared. I didn't oh. even read from Lord of the Rings. Ooh. I had pulled up. I, 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 have a, the, I have an analogy between Enneagram and theology that I want to throw back later, but I want to hear what Sarah was, uh, that thread she was going to go. Well, okay. Let's just say, Dan, that I like grant you everything that you're saying here. And I say, yeah, it's a sucky personality test and it doesn't measure anything people want it to measure. All of that. Let's just like take that. Like I, I just give it all to you. What do you then do with people who come to you and say, all right, you can say all that, but it just is the case that I read these descriptions of the way that people inhabit the world and the way that they experience themselves in the relationship to other people. And I have just had this experience of feeling like for the first time in my life, I made sense to myself. And that then went on to help me have really productive conversations with my partner, with my children, with my coworkers. I started to thrive in a way that I hadn't ever before. Call it whatever the hell you want, but it did something really productive for me. So this is great. Here's a distinction I I wanted to be careful to make. In my mind, there's a distinction between I'm going to sort of promote the Enneagram school of thought, tool, whatever you want to call it, and 
what would I do if a client came in and wanted to talk about what they had found doing the Enneagram? Those are like very different questions. The one, the first question is like a meta question of like, what should get oxygen basically? And my entire argument today is not the Enneagram. Let's give oxygen to other things, but that's very separate from if a client comes in and said exactly what you just said, I would say, awesome. Let's start going through the things that you figured out. What was the language that was helpful for you? What did that connect to in your story? Like somebody could also take a which Lord of the Rings character quiz are you that's unrelated to the Enneagram and the archetype of Gimli speaks to them and they and that opens up something for them, for instance, in therapy or in conversations with loved ones or whatever. That's all super valid. Not in the not statistically. What if they valid. discovered it while they were playing D and D with their friends? Yes, D and D therapy, for instance, is a real thing. I'm yeah. that's all fine. I'm Nothing not saying the people together like big D twenties. I'm not saying that it's it can't help people. I'm just saying it's a fairly arbitrary thing that's helping people. And if we could replace the arbitrary thing with Would something that was more that rigorous, that might Rohr's help even more face. people. <laughs> I, I, well, I don't know. That would because, like, I feel like to me, it feels like you're applying like a lot of. I know science is important, but this is something that was developed in a culture of spiritual directors over time. It was an oral tradition for a while, from what I understand, and it would happen. I don't even know if that stuff's true. You don't think it's true? I know, like the version that I've heard is like a guy basically in the mid 20th century in Brazil or something. Came Who gives a shit it. if it's true, Dan? Let Siri speak. She's it's meaningful. It's useful and <laughs> meaningful. <very> mean. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, my also is getting, it was Bolivia, it. and what does it matter where the guy was okay, from? Bolivia, fine. <laughs> It matters when Do you he was trust from. If from he's from if he's from the 20th century, it was not an oral tradition passed down for centuries, okay, which I, I had heard at one point as well. For centuries, I didn't say I, I'm There's saying no it's oral really... tradition from the 1940s. <laughs> it's written. He wrote okay, okay, it. Okay. It's not orally okay, transmitted from Bolivia in the 40s. I'm just saying okay. it's not a science. It's staying thing. in. It's, not... it's staying in the episode. And no, I want not- you to know I have a YouTube video right here that says it's from the 6th century. Yes, I know so, those videos exist. Okay, I really I wasn't trying to get into to the history you know. of it. I was just saying it developed in a culture of like spiritual directors and priests and whatnot mm-hmm. and not a bunch of scientists. And no one's ever saying that it is or did. And if you're saying that that means like good, like it, it's not, it's, it, if, the, if that then puts it on par with BuzzFeed to you, that's problematic. <laughs> now, I didn't say it's on par well, with BuzzFeed, but like, I said... Lord of the Rings someone... quizzes or whatever. That's what you were comparing it to. Whoa, I mean... You were saying the, it's like but the same. See, the, the connection is the Lord of the Rings quizzes are connected to people that love that whole... Yeah, the work World, of, right? like, that's connected to the work that Tolkien put in, which he's probably reading young and thinking about these archetypes, and he's he's reading myths and he's like way well, he gets them from middle in the, folklore, like middle age uh, Norwegian myths, which is right. about the time that my YouTube video says that the Enneagram was developed. So, Dan, Dan, can I make a can I make a technical like argumentative point here? So yeah, go for like, it. Like you are okay. So so you're doing just like argumentatively, like you're doing two things here that I think are like slightly suspect. So you're saying on one hand okay. that the Enneagram fails as a psychological test or personality test. A personality. Uh, yeah. It's so just not as good as other ones. Right. Yeah. But 
nobody, none of it, like, I'm not, like, no one who's, uh, like, embracing the Enneagram is really saying that it is a personality But test. nobody has so given wait, wait, wait. me, okay, so then. Stop, 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 stop. Okay, wait, one ahead. second. I'm sorry. On one I'm hand, sorry. you're saying it's a bad personality test. And then yeah. we all say, or I and my people behind me say, like, oh, it's not a personality test, though. And then you're like, oh, but it is a personality test. So, like, you're, like kind of yeah. your, your argumentative point here requires us all to agree with a premise that the ones who are into the Enneagram don't agree with. So it's maybe like, we need to look up the definition of personality test. Okay, Marianne, see if we, you well, know. So um, may, maybe the language of personality test is uh, causing you guys to talk past each other. I'm wondering if maybe a better way to think about it is what is the Enneagram's connection to just empirical grounding? Right. And clearly it's, it seems to me as a non-expert here, but why let that stop me? It seems like uh, people who find the Enneagram helpful do so in virtue of the fact that they feel like it's got some basis in, in empirical reality, right? And so then, uh, you know, whether that's for their own personal experience is giving a language for their own, you know, journey through time, gives them a language to describe meaningful relationships and other people that, that they kind of navigate. And so it seems to me like, you know, regardless of whether they would use the strong language of it being a personality test or a, a descriptive of personality types in the same way that other psychological ones do. At the same time, they still think it's, it's, it's accurate in mapping kind of empirical reality in some ways. And so I guess my only point in thinking through this is that, well, if it's being used to kind of map experience in a way that, you know, is supposed to have a level of accuracy, regardless of what we think about it, but is it true or not? Then I think, well, okay, but now we're kind of into the realm then of you've opened the doorway into saying, okay, but what are the best ways we have to test those kind of claims? And that, that to me is kind of where, where I see you can't kind of have it both ways, right? You, I agree with you, Sarah, like you know, on the one hand, you can't, you can't fault people for using it as a personality test if they're saying we're not using it as a personality test. And I think that needs to be acknowledged. And yet I think on the same time, though, you can't say, oh, we're not using it as a personality test. We're just using it to describe traits about personalities, right? No, it's and not. So, it's not a trait. It's like we're not, I don't, I don't see. So or, 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 or to map some kind of empirical experience that is going to be accurate regardless of whether or not a person sees it. To say I'm a nine, my husband is a six, is to say some facts about the world. Okay. It is, no, no, you know no, I, mean? I don't think it's, no, okay. I think that like, or I think what the Enneagram is doing is it's, it's doing something almost artistic. It's almost like, yeah. it's almost, it's, it's, it's a slightly, it's, it's colorful. It's messy. It's a slightly, it's about feel and sense much more than it is about scientific categories that are easily analyzable and like kind of able to be like schematized. And when, I mean, I've done like, I've done big five and I've done, I've done Ian, I've done Myers-Briggs with like an actual like MBTI guy, like person, like an actual like trained accredited person. Like I'm ENFP. Okay. Got that. That is, you know, it's all good. It's great. But there's something about the Enneagram that gets that sort of like that existential thing inside of people. It's like, it's a sort of, it's more about like the feel of it. And there most people who do Enneagram, I think are quite happy to acknowledge that it's like, yeah, no, it's not mapping necessarily onto empirical categories. It's like, it's, it's, it's about allowing, giving people like a range of options and seeing what they click with, seeing what they kind of like can connect with in a way that gives them language for things that's very difficult for them to uh, find in all of, you know, the traditional, more empirically based personality tests. 
the end. So here's here's where I think the analogy between the Enneagram and theology is actually uh, a good kind of entry point, because I think that, you know, if it comes to, to theological narratives, for example, one question you might ask, well, you know, is, is your theology true? Like, is it making, why should we think that the things that are part of your theological narrative of engaging the world actually are accurate? You know, why should we think there's a God? Why should we think God is like that? And how could we know something like that, right? And, you know, if you think that theology is importantly you know, the kind of thing that's factive in that way, you're going to want to, at least at some point, think through some of those kind of uh, questions. But there's a whole, you know, tradition of post-Kantian, post-positivistic theology that says, who gives a shit about whether it's true, it, it might not be kind of meaningful in, in, a, a, in a positivist kind of cognitively meaningful sense, but it's meaningful in all these other ways, right? And so maybe we can enter into the theopoetic narrative of the Enneagram, and if we find it meaningful, then, you know, why do we that's not... That's what I'm uh, saying! Why, why do we care... <laughs> <laughs> right then so and if that's and if that's the game that that's fine but then don't pretend that it's actually saying something true do you think do you think that <laughs> correlates to the inability to say something true about personalities in any deep and meaningful way right like the problem with the like the most fi- like the big five factors is I just I just took a shit on theopoetic narratives them. and that's that's getting Gimli all riled up over there. Oh yeah. No no no. I, this this is what Tripp was really thinking about this topic is that like either you reduce what you can say about someone's personality empirically so small that no one cares and it is not that wonderfully insightful, or like is there something about personality that you don't get at? Through things that are empirical. And if that's the case, then so much of it, it falls in this different category. And, and I think there's a category between like productive fiction and, you know, objective analysis of sorts. And and William James gets it in varieties of religious experience. (laughs) And and in his essay on a will to believe, where it's not like the fictions or the poetics, if you're using that phrase, so I don't want to derail into discussion about theopoetics, but like, it's not like the, the fictions in and of themselves, they don't have material or relational consequences without the language and the relations that are pulled with the language is William James language in his psychology book, the relationships that are pulled by the language that where the track, the language has traction, but not determinative traction in a sense. so that you can imagine poetics where that's not the case. And you can imagine ones there are. So like when the Enneagram functions, right, with what I think you're getting at with theopoetics, you're saying that the community is using a symbolic structured account that may or may not have traction ultimately with whatever you want to call empirical. But there may be more than what is empirical that to have traction too. And the evidence is that the community that trusts the wisdom of this poetic rendering of human subjectivity has their own lives opened up in ways that are more revelatory to them and revelatory to the people they're relating to, right? When you understand how your wounds and all that kind of stuff functions. And so the evidence is this language gives me more traction to live in my life. Does it help me relate to my partner better, my wounds better, my parents better? Does it help me understand what's going around with other people? And William James' big kind of protest between completely empirical and functioning fantasies was the insistence this kind of like abductive analysis was necessary. And I feel like you can affirm something like that without go, like doing the either or. But 
So I, I, I That's, I, this is me mostly wanting to know what Sarah and Myron thought about that. Well, I, I would really like to hear what Siri and Sarah think about Tripp's comments here about the theopoetics of the Enneagram. Which, by the way, theopoetics is an upcoming episode of You Have Permission, just saying that. So we'll get more into that con that concept soon. Yeah, I was trying to sidestep the theopoetics one. I have, I have real opinions about that word. That's why I was trying not to use it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I was like alluding to. It's like, I was trying to think of a good analogy. It's like, but I couldn't think of a good one. I was just like, I'm really into the first two Weezer albums. They really speak to me. <laughs> but my husband liked everything after that, which isn't exactly true but you know i know people like that That better not be true that would be weird (laughs) no but that works better do you hold pinkerton in common (laughs) no it no actually he only listens to bossa nova so i don't know what personality that's a four thing i guess (laughs) 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 but um and i listen to whatever i do rock i i like where we're going that's where i was going with this was the whole theopoetics thing i think it's something to be used as a dynamic in in yeah like in a community in a whole portfolio of other sort of like self-care relationships, that's when it's good. But the thing is, when something gets really popular, when it kind of hits this critical mass, there's going to be all like a huge amount of people who who start using it in like a, a non-nuanced manner and without like depth or and and not in the dynamic system of self-care. And that's where you get into all the pre- problematic aspects, which I agree are are problematic and, you know, putting yourself in a box and then start like acting like the person that, the, that just, you just read about on the page, you know? And I think that's like what that, there was an anecdote in that article, the recent, recent Christianity Today article that Sarah Schnitker wrote. I was like, can we do better than, than the Enneagram? And it started out with the anecdote about the couple where the husband got like super into it. And he was like, this is me, this is who I am and I cannot change. And and therefore, I need to leave you. You know, it's like, come on, that guy was like looking for a way out anyway. Come on, but <laughs> oh, for sure, that was not the strongest argument in that yeah. piece, no, which I will be that in the show notes. I'm like, or it just that argument that sucks. Were definitely but, yeah. already there. Like, but a lot of her other arguments were quite good, I thought, and I will be linking to the piece in the show. Yeah, notes. and Sarah's on, like a totally Sarah. great valid scholar. I'm not trying to rag on <laughs> her because. I'm like two degrees of separation from her. I don't think she was even making an argument. I think she, she was, was just saying, this is how deep it's gotten into evangelical culture. Yeah. That someone left their marriage over it. Now, that guy obviously has other shit exactly. going on. But like it's it's gone that deep into this subculture is a valid point. Can make. I make one more point about the poetic thing before I go off into totally. like how to mitigate against harm? With it? Yeah. So um, what's really, really interesting is that earlier today I was having a, a conversation with Martin, my husband, and we were talking about this. And he's found he's not like into like spiritual woo-woo anything at all. He's like a historian. Literally has his PhD in history. So he's, he's a like, Presbyterian minister. Yeah, he's Let's like kind of yeah, hardcore. Like I'm definitely the emotional basket case in the, in the relationship. So he loves the Enneagram. He finds it extremely useful. And it's really helped him personally to understand his sort of like energy, like equilibrium thing. You know, it's just helped him to understand sort of like why thing, why he experiences the world in the way he does. And I was telling him that we were going to have this conversation tonight. And I was saying, yeah, basically everybody in my, in this, in our little, uh, in our little friend group here is going to be arguing against the Enneagram. And he kind of got like slightly indignant. I hope he never listens to this podcast. Oh, shit. Like, he got, I'm going to text it. I'm going to message it to I him. I fully support the Enneagram. He got. <laughs> and so does J.R.R. Covering, cover he your got, bases, Trip, with your friend. He got pretty indignant about it because he was like, what? He's like, aren't they 
supposed to be all about like deconstructing and progressive theopoetic Christianity? Like, aren't they supposed to be moving away from like the rigid, like empirically verifiable, you know, everything and like moving away from a theology that mm. is basing on based on like the apologetic arguments and things? He's like, aren't they supposed to your be husband? Better? Your husband misunderstands me so well, thoroughly. That's the thing, Dan, though, like. <laughs> I'm moving away from my past towards evidence and empirical yeah. verification. No, no, no. I, I really like Martin a lot. I'm joking. Like, I think he was meaning more about you, Dan. a rigidity, like a sort of, no, basically the, 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 his, his argument here was that people who are just dismissing the Enneagram because it's not like evidence-based are not recognizing how things can be experienced as life-giving and true in more complex ways than are easily captured in the scientific um, kind of metrics and tools that we have available to us. But I think that corresponds to this emerging Myers-Briggs type where the letters are Q-A-N-O-N, right? Which is also <laughs> a very strong, <laughs> you know, a very strong kind of meaningful yeah. narrative that gives people meaning and kind of helps them kind of navigate. It makes sense of their world. A fight it's of good of, and evil. Oh, yeah. They can be the hero in this theopoetic That was the next thing I was going to go let's, to let's, was that conversation from today. Okay, Sarah, let's do that. Then we'll take a break. Yeah, what we're talking about today is people needing to kind of feel that they're part of a larger narrative. And Enneagram yeah, could be yeah. like, what character am I in this narrative? You know, it's, and I've, as Steve and I, who both write, my husband and I, who both write, write fiction, we sometimes look at the Enneagram as like inspiration for writing your characters, you know, so... Well, and that, and that makes sense to me because that's kind of like who's the guy? Uh, Hero's Journey, Joseph mm-hmm. Campbell, Star Wars, the Dark Crystal, Jim Henson, Jungian archetypes. Like there is a lot of there is something. I don't know a lot about this world. I've not studied Jung, Young, Jung. People say differently, uh, and that kind of line of thinking in my and I won't probably in my program. It's a kind of a modern day evidence based thing. But I will look into it because I'm interested in it and the psychoanalytic – I'm just saying I'm aware of the fact that I'm not going to get much of that in my program. That, wasn't that is why. kind of – that's not why you guys are laughing. You're positivist of our day. Can I just say like you are – No, I'm really not. I'm really not unless you're going to start making claims. He's an evidence-based program that requires them to find – to sign a crazy-ass faith statement. <laughs> Look, if he wants to work with anybody, they all have to sign a crazy-ass statement about the rapture and the infallibility of Scripture and some weird-ass atonement theories. But Lord knows, a union... I'm not going to be. God. I'm not going to be reading Jung in my program because it's evidence based. That I think was the part. That was <laughs> no, no, no. Because yeah, I mean, because like, come on, Dan. Don't you know who Jordan Peterson is? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, there's a lot of things to respond here. I'm not going to take out what Tripp just said about the faith statement. I'm just going to say I did not have to sign a faith statement to be a student, but I would have had to sign one to work at the university, and I chose not to sign that. I, that's all I'm going to – I'm not going to say any more about that. I chose that it was not right for me, and that's fine, and I respect people's choices there. What but, if you were an eight? You wouldn't. If you were an eight, you would say if you sign one of them shits, you're a lying sack of shit and you're why we have QAnon. That's why I think I might be an eight, because you want to know what evangelicals do? They all sign that stupid shit. I have 20. I keep a track. 20 people where I recorded, you know, because I record the whole conversation when I record podcasts and I have over a thousand episodes, 20 people who could lose their jobs if I just released what they said to me voluntarily, if I didn't edit it. 
this is why evangelicals are just like, I don't believe them is because everyone that trains their ministers that aren't true believers drink of the Kool-Aid all the time. They know better because they actually hang out with academics. And then they say, how about that money? How about them jobs? How about that tenure? How about that Templeton money? How about Let me that, get at that. How about that providing for yeah. my children? Crypt doesn't right. money. <laughs> well, I that's fine. If you're, look, I didn't if sign you it. I withdrew to, my you, application. So No, I'm, I'm not yeah, talking about you. you. I'm just like he's, literally he's talking saying about like, me. He's talking <laughs> about Myron. Yeah, I'm talking about Myron. <laughs> Myron, who hates the Enneagram and um, <laughs> loves infallibility. <laughs> We're going to go to a little break here. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about this idea of wisdom tradition. Mm. I want to dramatically read way, the Lord of the Rings passage for Myron. I've been I, – I, I had it all it, picked The out. time – the moment has passed, Trip. But it's so good. Okay. You know what? If you don't care, go ahead and skip ahead. But if you'd like to hear yeah. it, Trip's going to read it right now before the bathroom break. It will mostly be an affirmation for the rest of you. Look, I because I was thinking about each of our characters, and Myron's a Sam, right? And one of my favorite passages in Lord of the Rings is the conversation between Sam and Frodo as to whether or not they'll be remembered in the songs because the they're songs, right. like going into Mordor. Sam says – I wonder if we'll ever be put into songs or tales. Frodo turns and says, what? Sam says, I wonder if people ever say, hey, let's hear that song about Frodo and the ring. And they'll say, oh, that's that's one of my favorite stories. Frodo was so courageous, wasn't he, Dad? Yes, my boy, the most famous of hobbits. And that's saying a lot. Frodo continued walking, turns and says, Oh, but you've left out one of the chief characters, Samwise the Brave. Ah, Sam. I want to hear more about Sam, Dad. Sam stops and turns, and Frodo says, Frodo wouldn't have gotten far without Sam, Sam says. Now, Mr. Frodo, you shouldn't make fun. I was being serious. And Frodo says, so was I, Samwise the Brave. Now, if you're in our group, there's no person... That is like the friend you want to hear from in a moment of self-doubt. Better than Samwise the Brave Myron. There's like, if you had to pick somebody to be the Mennonite Sam. It is so true, though. Right? Like, he's not actually going to kill goblins and shit for you. But if he could figure out a way to do it without killing, like he's going to do it. And then he is the one with a pure enough heart to have the ring and be like, yeah, I'll give it back to you. (laughs) See, like when I was thinking through the characters, I was trying to find passages. And then I was like, once I was like, oh, shit, he's a two. He's Sam. I knew this was the passage that made me go Myron. And in Tripp's love language of Lord of the Rings, that passage in you is deep affirmation. Oh, well. Those are kind words, and I've said this before, but I think it, it bears worth uh, repeating here for the public record. In all my other friend groups, I'm the asshole. All right, so <laughs> are you really though? Because oh, like, yeah. Our, like, yeah, no, yeah. Are you are people? by far the most affirming person I have ever met, and it's because your affirmations are so specific, and like you, you tend to like hone in on like the like the one thing about somebody that is actually like superlative in them like like something about them that is actually different than most people and you name it and you are like like you feel like comfortable saying it in a way that most people are not comfortable saying affirmations my god it's the best thing ever 
Myron, are your other friends living on Themyscira, the Wonder Woman <laughs> island, where there are no problems and everybody is beautiful and happy? Maybe no. I need to be the asshole. No, no, no. I think this speaks well of you because clearly you bring out the best in me. I think it's that we are assholes and you are (laughs) balancing it out. All right. Well, let's let's take a let's take a little break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk about this wisdom tradition angle because I actually have some. I think a juicy bit for you all to chew on on that topic. So we'll be right back. I'll tell you something that's definitely real. The Patreon campaign for the You Have Permission podcast. Uh, It includes access to the Facebook group, which is for patrons only, as well as at least two exclusive episodes per month. And the most recent one is very fun. It's a conversation with Alyssa Wilkinson, who is the film editor, sorry, film critic at Vox Media, Vox.com. She used to work at Christianity Today, and in our conversation, we talk about the differences between those workplaces. Uh, we talk about Christian film industry stuff, as well as general market films uh, made by Christians, which means we get into talking about Scorsese and Terrence Malick. So if that sounds interesting and you're not a patron, might be a good time to sign up. Patreon.com slash Dan Coke. It's $5 a month, but there is a sliding scale for those who truly cannot afford it right now. Uh, so yeah, link is in the show notes. And we'll get back now to this god-awful, god-forsaken, just kidding, episode about the Enneagram. All right, so we're back. Uh, I've refilled my glass uh, with some more Mexican beer, which is really hitting the spot right now. And by the way, we did a semi-empirical taste test, and we found the three best Mexican beers are actually Tecate and Dos Equis, and then Pacifico third, but Pacifico only with food, because it has a weird aftertaste. I love Tecate. Well, that makes you a, T- um, that makes you a TDEP3, which totally, you know, on the hierarchy of... Uh, yeah, it explains a lot. Types. That explains no. everything, man. Do you, by Mexican beer, do you mean... Just beers from Mexico, or yes. do you mean all just beers Mexican, from Central and South America? No, no, just Mexico, the imported beers you can readily get. That's all I'm talking about. Famosa anyway, is easily the best from South America. I haven't had it. Uh, but Quilmes from Argentina has done pretty well on this loggers bracket. If you want to see some of this, you can go to my Instagram. Let's move on. So wisdom tradition, I told you I would mention this. So here is my little tidbit. And it is, for me, both a critique from where I stand theologically and where I would imagine actually all five of us stand theologically, and also a partial potential explanation for why the Enneagram is so popular among specifically evangelicals. So here's the bit. I was reading The Complete Enneagram. This is a book by... Uh, some PhD, Beatrice something, I forget her last name. I, I didn't bring it downstairs with me. But this is like a lot of people consider this like the best, most comprehensive book on the Enneagram. She's got her doctorate. I bought it at a time when I was less skeptical than I am now. I have not always been the skeptic I am today. And I was reading it today before the episode. And I found the chapter on wisdom. And I was like, okay, interesting. I wonder what she means by that. What does she mean by wisdom tradition? And guys, here's what I found. 
What she means is perennial philosophy. This is the view of Aldous Aldous Huxley, Houston Smith, who wrote The World's Religions. This is the idea that all the world's religions, and she quotes Smith in this section, so I'm not not, uh, just assuming this about her, that all the world's religions actually contain this ancient truth this ancient wisdom that is basically undiluted, but then gets diluted in each of the world religions. Now, this is a view that I think everybody here is fairly familiar with and that I personally reject. I think that it has its own kind of Western imperialism to it, that we have a privileged vantage point from which we can survey all the religious systems of the world, find the stuff that's in common and say, that's the real truth. And all the particular versions of these religions are the weird, you know, localized versions with their local gods and local shrines and all that stuff. But this is the this is the real dope right here. And she specifically links the Enneagram to that line of thinking. Now, I think that that's a problem and it kind of resonates with maybe some of the problems I have with the Enneagram in that both the Enneagram and the perennial philosophy are like overly confident in what they claim about things. Sarah, you're saying that to do the big five is to be kind of boring. It's it's in a sense to claim less, but it's accurate in what it claims. And I kind of like that it's claiming less in some sense. Right, yeah. And then the second point is just, I think that this might also explain to some degree why evangelicals are so drawn to it because in evangelical Christianity, we are so thirsty for any kind of wisdom from anything beyond evangelical Christianity or evangelical Protestantism that to get any taste of it, something that might be a little wider and bigger is going to actually be very appealing for good reason and for understandable reason. And so the Enneagram comes along and it's like, it's God and it's spiritual, but it's a little wider and our hearts open to it because in fact, we have been artificially closed off for our entire lives to anything outside evangelical Protestantism. So this is just some, this is literally a brand new thought today. Both of those are, but I thought that might produce some interesting fodder for conversation. So I actually, so this is where I kind of part ways with Enneagram people. Um, I I love the Enneagram. I don't tend to connect with the spiritual aspects of it. I think of it as being fairly divorced from any sort of spiritual tradition or wisdom tradition. I don't think the Enneagram needs to be seen as claiming anything. And I don't really trust the received history around the spiritual like root of the Enneagram. Here's where we very much agree. Yeah. Yes. So I just, I don't think it's that great, even like in, in a religious studies sort of. Okay. But Sarah, then I am at a f-ing loss because if you don't think it's a personality test and you don't think it's perennial ancient wisdom, no. what the f- is it? Right. So I think of it as a dynamic space, a language, an aesthetic, maybe a way of connecting your core experience of life in the world to other people's core experiences of the life in the world. I think it's extremely useful. It's very helpful. It connects me to, or it gives me um, a language, a vocabulary, a, a felt sense of being seen and known that I don't get 
from like almost anywhere else. But it's not connected to any sort of like metaphysics or any sort of spiritual ontology or anything. It's 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 much more existential. Okay, what's the difference between? Let me ask a question in the voice of Myron. What is the difference between existential and empirical? I think Myron should say that because say it. Dan sounded judgy when he said it. <laughs> I know that was like because I'm not a two. He didn't have genuine inquisitivity related to it where you're like, maybe I will answer that question because I'm not being judged right now. (laughs) Exactly. I don't have that thing that Myron has. I'm much more of a bull in a china shop. But to say it's existential, okay, so it's experiential. It's about the human human existence and the human experience. So not to answer uh, the question I'm supposed to be asking, but it seems like the difference would be that, you know, kind of an uh, objective subjective distinction, right? I mean, so if you're thinking about existential meaning, you're thinking about how things look from the inside of the lens of your own experience. And then the rules are going to be different for what counts as success as opposed to empirical. That's a good answer. Yeah. Do you feel like I'm, do you feel like I'm being mean, Sarah? No, not at all. This is really good. I actually don't even think that the Enneagram is something that someone can like apply to another person. Like, I think there's something about the Enneagram that is different from other personality uh, tests where the person really needs to feel like something rings true with them. And that for me feels more existential than empirical, right? So maybe empirical is the sort of thing that a, a trained practitioner can apply to another person. And if this other person responds honestly and accurately, we can get an accurate, reliable, verifiable kind of like analysis of the person for, for whatever it's measuring. Whereas in the um, Enneagram, it feels much more existential, which is it, like something needs to it's, it's, it's driven by the subject. It's driven by the individual's resonance yeah. the description. It's not something another person probably can tell you. And I might differ from people here because I know that there are people out there who really do want to say no Enneagram is a personality test and we can't. Yeah, I, I don't think you. the I don't think the Enneagram Institute could exist if you could never say what type someone else was, for instance. So in my like conversations with my mom about this is an Enneagram true believer. I said, well, I could totally see it if it was about affect and anticipation, right? Like how you relate to the world and what you see coming from the world. And she was like, what else do you think it's talking about? Like, right. So like at that sense, like if you're talking about lenses where, where you think of this structured discourse, we can all have about the way these different personalities experience their past mm-hmm. and, and and how they anticipate whether the structures of like organizing principles, if you're a philosophy person, like the Kantian organizing principles of affect, um, then I'm, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Now, if you're me and you're like, I'm largely interested in that because I might kind of like to know what was really real, then you're just like, oh, that's nice. But if you just like to love your neighbor as yourself, then it's probably really good, right? To think about structures of affect and anticipation, how it, like your subjectivity exists within it. And if there are habitual patterns, that if you're given a framework, it works. They got to, I don't know what the big deal is, especially when there's like high quality Middle Earth correlates. <laughs> okay, yeah. a couple things. One is, Sarah, every time you've talked about how people use the Enneagram in your experience. 
I think we've been talking to different people. Like I almost exclusively find people using it as a personality test. I almost exclusively find them applying it equally to other people as themselves. I don't like you must have been hanging out with some reserved ass people uh, who are very careful in their judgments or whatever, because that is just not what I have seen. At Isn't all. that like how people use the Bible? Right. Like <laughs> just because people use the Bible shitty doesn't mean there's not smart ways of using the Bible. Sure. Sure. But let me. So then here's my second point. Now, Trip is trying to give us some other language for how we might think about this affect and expectation. Let me just read to you. This is an empirically based 115 year old personality typing system. It's the Cattell's 16 factors. OK. And it decades of empirical research went into this. Let me just read so it was to developed you. Developed before women and African Americans could vote. All right, yes, and ready. so okay, then maybe it could be massaged with some cultural competency. That's a good. use a large amount of straight white guys <laughs> as their typified study partners. Well, here's the thing: it's not normative because trip. It, it doesn't didn't go back as ancient as Middle Earth. Well, okay, it's funny that you bring this up, and I'll just do a quick sidebar. But for instance, the Big Five, which is the one that's being used today, they that like a question like, well, would this apply in Japan? like where they have different cultural norms. Funny enough, they've tried it and they've actually found that four out of five in some Asian countries work well, but that the fifth one actually needs to be massaged a bit because of cultural expectations. But I wouldn't know that unless hardworking scientists had attempted to figure out the validity and the reliability of the measures over years of hard work. Okay. So here's Cattell. There are 16 – I'm not going to read all of them, but these are the examples of like you fall on some continuum between two things on these 16 different factors. And I think if you apply affect and expectation to these, you're going to find a lot of stuff here. So for instance, are you imaginative versus practical? Are you worried versus confident? Are you spontaneous versus restrained, flexible or attached to the familiar, controlled versus undisciplined? Conforming versus non-conforming, tender-hearted or tough-minded, uninhibited or shy, impatient or relaxed. Like, how is that different than the Enneagram? They are doing the same work. They are saying a kind of person that you are. Now, this is being more systematic about it, and it's giving here all 16 factors. You'll land somewhere, and the Enneagram is taking those, clumping them together based on somebody's experience of a population of people and where they tend to find clusters, also known as factor analysis for you statistics heads. And then they're calling it what it is, but they're not doing it in any kind of organized way. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something about the Enneagram that feels different from a lot of personality tests and that a lot of personality tests, they, they divide up the human person into a bunch of traits the Enneagram aims for a sort of holism that you don't often get in personality tests. So you have like EN, like, so I'm, like, I'm an ENFP or I have like these different kind of traits on the, the big five or whatever. And, or the, you know, the 16. And, and, and there's just, like, yeah. it's sort of like you have to kind of like step back from yourself and be like, okay, on this, I'm this. And then, then this, I'm this. And then this, I'm this. But isn't that more accurate? To the variety of human experience? Yeah, but it's not really – There are not nine types of people. That's just – I call bullshit. 
There are way well, more than nine types. Um, uh, that doesn't. Enneagram doesn't. <laughs> Sorry, there are thirty-six if you count all the subtypes. Right. Right. And then that's so Thank many you. that it's kind of meaningless. It's like either way, mm-hmm. I have an issue with it. Okay. Either yeah. there are too few, and there's no way that's true, which is why I get a near equal you know, score on three and seven. When you tell you me know? about that, what you call it that that you just told me about the Cattell sixteen factor, yeah, Cattell. Yeah. It it feels like I was like I. It, this is the difference. It's like I just read you a passage from Moby Dick, and you pulled out a. Uh, biology textbook about whales <laughs> exactly <laughs> so people don't like science myron but how you know are we going to convince people to like science that's why i'm interested to hear this theopoetics episode that you're talking about putting up because i'm like i don't really see it's Dan very triggering there. for people in dance personality well <laughs> and the enneagram <laughs> predicts all of that I think it is. Um, so I, is this wing. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm I'm getting like uh, the clarity is kind of emerging in terms of why you know dear friends of mine you know seem on the surface to disagree with me so you know vigorously about things about which I think we should have consensus. But but maybe maybe I would feel better if there was a disclaimer on how the enneagram was used. And I don't know if Sarah would agree with this and Sari would agree with this, but you know, maybe the disclaimer should be, don't think that this is true or accurate, but this is a language that you might find helpful for you in your journey. And here's uh, a, a way in which you can kind of locate yourself within a story and it might be good for you. Absolutely. Yeah. How much, how different do you think that is from a preface statement you'd put on almost any discourse, mm. right? And it's applicability to things outside of it. Well, let's, right? let's, like, let's talk vaccines. Right. And their efficacy. Uh, I think that uh, that's different. Like the discourse mm -hmm. would be about like the particular that you wouldn't like, oh, the discourse is about whether or not you use them. Uh, Well, no, I think the different the discourse is about whether or not they're good for you. Right. And so in that way, they're parallel because you can think that the Enneagram is good for you and you might think that vaccines are good for you and you can embed your. You have a high confidence that people that are in groups of people that take the Enneagram seriously to reflect on their life are better people than people that don't use anything to reflect on their life. That's a, that's a claim and that that's testable actually. And that in order to kind of know yeah. whether that's well, true, no, I we think could, it is. That's why well, I know you think it is. But like that my it. question is whether or not we should think that it's true. Right. And so that's, uh, you know, and the other value claim would, would be to, uh, uh, let's take the top five things, mm-hmm. not shitty Christians are into and ask which one, like how we'd order their interests, right? So at least three of them are things they like to spit on related to their baggage right. to evangelical past. Purity right? culture, for are, instance. Y'all yeah. are theopsych sensitive enough to know <laughs> that if your primary identifying markers for thinking through your spiritual existence are, are like negation statements about your upbringing, harm, and trauma is yeah. not helpful towards your future. Yeah. So then like say to yourself like, what after that are our positive things? We got some like eco spirituality things like with Brian McLaren. You got your Enneagram things. Like there's not a lot of positive statements if you're not if you're a mainline <laughs> Protestant. Like the Enneagram's like the only one other people than mainline Protestants are into. You don't want it to kill that. Otherwise, they're just going to go back to coming up with memes to feel good about themselves <laughs> just because they don't believe in QAnon. 
Like, this is uh, this is my like sneaky advocacy for the Enneagram, which again, uh, I've spent about three hours only inebriated preparing for this episode involving Enneagram, Lord of the Rings, and Google. So I it, and hearing people's testimony like my mother, who I love. Love. One I just of my love favorite that, human beings. I ever. love that you called your mom to prepare for this episode. Yeah. That makes me very I did. happy. Yeah. I told her today, but I told her it was a private episode. So I'm really <laughs> I'm not gonna share this <laughs> on social media. I think I was clear, but uh, you know, that's we have a we have a very uh deep no, but text you, thread. You see, our right, text so. thread happens where y'all are awake, but Sarah and I are late True. at night, and I read it either while drinking before bed <laughs> or when I wake up, there's like 40 and I like scan it and I'm like, am right. I good? Did anyone say something personal? Yeah. Cause I don't want to miss like that personal things, but if it's just Dan testing his premises for his next episode, <laughs> like, <laughs> you like that callback. You like that callback? Yeah, guilty. Yeah. yeah. I'm good. Also, Dan, I love you for who you are and want I, to encourage you to become all you can be. I, I do test all kinds of shit out on you guys. That's true. I know. I know. I want to throw down That's something. Very, I'm very grateful. Uh, see if Siri wants to pick it up. But this whole idea about the Enneagram and its relation to the wisdom tradition, Sari, you were saying something earlier, which kind of seemed to suggest that you found kind of the, the discourse of locating the Enneagram in this kind of trajectory of spiritual formation as kind of helpful for you. Uh, is that is that fair to say? Like, is that something that, that you, when you think of your own use of the Enneagram and, and how it makes sense of your own experience, does that, does seeing it as a tool for spiritual direction is that is that important for you? Yeah. I mean, I guess I go around in my head about how what category to put that stuff in, you know, mm-hmm. because I've I'm in this world of like, you know, integrating faith and science and I'm like, well, does everything absolutely have to pass this particular test or can you know, can other realms and domains come up with good things that are helpful too? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you were describing Dan, I guess wisdom tradition like what that is definitions like that's just not I don't know I haven't really thought of like I, I don't use that phrase in that way it just seems like something you can like I think of something that you can dialogue with over time and it takes on new life in your life and the life of the culture but maybe world culture is too loaded but well I think there's like a there's a way that you know Beatrice could have talked about wisdom traditions and the Enneagram that I would have been like my hackles would have gone up a lot less, which would be something like of all the world's wisdom traditions. Here is one that people have been working on for a while, the Enneagram. And, you know, it's been prayerful and they've been whatever, but that's not how she framed it. It was more like, here's an example of the timeless wisdom that comes down through all religions in various Mm -hmm. glimpses that, those of us Western enlightened folks are able to synthesize together. And then that's a big red flag for me. Like if something, this is where I will, I will want to be more scientific. If something is truly universal, then it should be empirically verifiable if it relates to human experience. And then we should use at science least, at least to in the principle. extent that we can. In well, principle. I think it's like and that. You can't measure all of it, but like you should try yeah. or figure out what you can measure. Well, and I think there's there's like a developing field around this too, like the aesthetic cognitivism. You know, how do you what do you call that moment when you're reading a description of your enneagram type and like you tear up 
or whatever. Yeah. Or, right. or like that. The first time I heard that Dolly Parton song that I shared in the group chat today, <laughs> I just like tears just started falling out of my face. Like I didn't even, it wasn't even like I, I started crying. It was just like the uncontrollable, like waterworks. <laughs> but what is happening in that moment? Like what's being communicated to me and how I I don't think we fully understand that yet. And that's not a, like a yeah. woo-woo thing to say. I'm just saying we just haven't got, figured that out, what's happening there yet. And like I was started to say during the break when I heard like Natalie talking in your last episode about her story and her, like how, how she identified with herself as like being a helper type and always sort of giving preference to those around you. And that's the same thing that happened to me when I read that, that chew description was like that sad lack of a sense of self that I couldn't quite understand. It just made me sad because I'm like, I feel like I don't know who I am and I don't know why. And that makes me sad. And then every now and then I do like this awkward thing where I'm like, this is who I am. And then I get embarrassed and I feel like I was a jerk. (laughs) Myron kind of does sometimes too. (laughs) But it's like, but no, you're just like saying your opinion or whatever. (laughs) You know, yeah, it's like a role. It's like a role. And and in certain subcultures, certain roles are really a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. gets put on people to play them. And that's all so helpful to realize I think that this is where I'd, I really want to make the distinction again between any individual who has found this helpful is a separate question to me than like going forward. What do we promote for future individuals who will find something else helpful? Myron, go ahead. So I think one thing that occurred to me as you were talking about the religious studies post enlightenment kind of hegemony or colonialism that can be, you know, imputed on the study of other religions, right? Like, and fully accept that that's true. Like it's, you know, there's lots of examples of trying to interpret kind of world religions from the lens of kind of Western enlightenment figures. And that's, that's a a big red flag. Uh, I think one thing that, that we're seeing though, as not to make it all the cognitive science of religion, but as there's more study done about kind of the cognitive mechanisms that seem to underlie religion, you know, cross-culturally and through time, is that there are some kind of common factors that do seem to emerge out of people's experience of religion. And and the, the point I want to make about that and kind of connected to the Enneagram is that, you know, it could very well be that the success of religion in particular forms is due to factors that are actually different from the way participants in those religions would describe them, right? And so, uh, uh, and it could also, and, and I think a similar thing could be true for the Enneagram. It could be that people, you know, find it meaningful because they think that it's an accurate measure, scientifically uh, valid and reliable for personality types. And so it, it provides meaning and, and you know, they're, they're full believers. And yet it could very well be that actually the, 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 the true benefits that they're receiving from it are, are explained more accurately by different mechanisms and other things. And that actually would be an interesting area of research. Uh, and maybe people are, are doing that, right, to kind of correlate and try and probe and, and understand uh, uh, wherein lies the true success of the Enneagram from a personal personal wellness standpoint, as well as from on, yeah. you know, more, more standard psychological measures. So that actually brings up something really that I think is valuable here. So if you're trying to, for instance, test whether a therapeutic intervention with couples therapy works, right? What you don't do is, okay, in group A, we gave this 
couples therapy intervention to these 10 couples. And in group B, they did nothing. That is not what you would do. You would say something like group B did this standard couples therapy intervention or whatever, because the act of being willing to go to couples therapy is some percentage of whatever will change for you in your therapy, right? Like think about the difference between I go to a Gottman couples therapy or I go to a narrative couples therapy versus I am willing to go to therapy with my wife or I say, no, I'm not going to therapy. Way bigger gap between the second two than the first two. And that's sort of what I'm trying to get at with some of this like placebo effect is a little bit of a derogatory term for what I'm saying. But it's like if I'm willing, like our pastor and his wife of our old church seven, eight years ago before it was hip talked about the Enneagram. And they recommended that we did it. They said, we did this and it helped our marriage. It changed our marriage significantly. Now, if I ask, I I believe them. I don't have no reason to disbelieve them. But what percentage of that was we are both willing to look at some system together, learn about ourselves and interact with each other? What percentage of the heavy lifting did that alone do? 70%, 80%, 60%? Is is that another way? As opposed to someone... Is that another way of making the point that Tripp said earlier about, well, you know, at least at least people who adopt the Enneagram are adopting some kind of positive vision for making meaning and they're not just stuck yes. in the language of negation, right? They're at least, you totally. know, at least that's reflective yes. of, of success. I, I think I agree with that. And so I like the title of that Christianity Today article, which is, can we do better than the Enneagram? It's not that the Enneagram is worthless. Nothing is worthless that gives people who have the intention to change and grow some language to change and grow that will never be worthless, but could, could there be something better that actually, if it like, here's one way of thinking about, would you trust anyone at Christianity today to ask that question? (laughs) I, I, uh, Sari vouched for the particular author of the article. That's good enough for me. So you could, now you derailed me trip. You and the three drinks derailed me trip. How dare I you? I passed three a while ago. I you mm. probably passed three before we started. <laughs> Trips on number two of his third set of three. I have been watching you down those tulip glasses. I think you might be on five or it's six. It's never been in this conversation. So I'm still on the first, Dan. <laughs> Wait, are we, are we back to are we back to tulip again? No, we're back to Hobbit oh, logic. Oh no! <laughs> it's called Hobbit logic. Clearly, you've not well, I think all we're, read guys, I, everything in Middle Earth. Sam says, Mary, why are you walking up so quickly? Ah, if it's never empty, it's never full. And the whole logic was he he was still on his first drink. Yeah, he's still on his first drink, right? Yeah. Yeah, that would would play well in court. I ain't driving anywhere. You can't even visit anybody in Scotland currently. (laughs) That's true. I I don't know what else we need to say, so I guess I'll just ask if anybody else has anything else they'd like to – get into the conversation before we wrap up. Well, I have a question I want everyone to answer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Enneagram has this like whole culture around it, right? You got podcasts, you got high quality memes, you got very mediocre memes, you got how it relates to everything. All these people find it. They find it useful in different ways, catch on to it. Too many people find it useful and people give it a hard time. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. If you think of it as someone outside of it, like I think we've all agreed that there's a possibility regardless of its uh, 
traction with our biological structures that people could find it useful, right? Tell me what differentiates a group of people, well-intentioned people, using the Enneagram in a small group and a group of people using the Bible in a small group. Because if not, I would just like you all to apply your cynical, deflationist attitudes towards every world religion (laughs) at the same time. And I will uh, mute myself, even though it's not allowed, because I'm looking forward to all four of you answering this question and being very clear and distinct in your answers. I feel like I will. St- I'll start just to bite the bullet, take take the hit for you guys. I would say that the difference between the Enneagram and the and the Bible or other religious traditions is that it has far, far, far less time, input, and wisdom put into it. It is it is of of dubious origins compared to something like the biblical text, which we know comes from the original nation of Israel. We understand that Jesus comes around the turn of the first century. And we even know, you know, all the schools of thought. We have a lot of information about how this stuff came to be and how it's been interpreted. And the Enneagram, by comparison to Christianity, Hinduism, Taoism, whatever, is a f-ing newcomer poser. And so if I end up and the reason that people here's my cynical take is the reason that people give it so much credence is that it is a personality test and that what we really want as people, here's a cynical take, is we we like the idea of learning about God and God's people. But what we really want to know is about ourselves. And this tells us what number we are and what type we are. And so we will elevate it up to the level of true wisdom traditions, which took way more blood, sweat, tears, and death to come to fruition than the Enneagram. That might be about as cynical and mean as I get on the whole episode right there, which I don't like ending on that note, but it's what came out. Who's next? (laughs) You're leaving? (laughs) See, this is why the video one's fun. Dan just leaves. He's leaving. What is? <laughs> I I don't. Okay. Trip second in command, right? <laughs> no, I, I I was. He told me not to mute myself. Maybe this is why. You know, he why like did that. Dan say Trip? Don't mute yourself. He's like, I got to go to the bathroom. Oh. Right. <laughs> okay, so the, no. the, the the question is like, no, what I, if you have an interpretive? You have two interpretive communities. Some people kind of organizing around enneagram. Others organizing around reading a scripture. Right. right. And the outcomes, right? And the, why I thought of this is because ex-evangelicals, right? I originally thought of this because my ex-evangelical friends had got in f-ing tarot. Mm. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, you cannot tell me you're an atheist who uses cards <laughs> where your premonition on which one you pick helps. And then like, like, you know, so this is like the in, and I was and they gave me answers and I just realized I was being a jerk. But <laughs> the like it came up, then the Enneagrams, the other thing where ex-evangelicals had this other structure that once you learn it, it's just like learning your chart about the end times or how the Roman road or something else like you fit yourself into it. Oh, right. but 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 there's like a um, there's a great researcher in uh, Minnesota named Clay Rutledge who does lots of really interesting work on this exact kind of phenomenon, or at least this is kind of the overlap. So that there's like a, a 
in inverse correlation, you know, as societies become more uh, or less kind of religious and participatory in, in organized religious frameworks, there's a an inverse kind of increase in the acceptance of non-religious kind of supernatural phenomena. So if you, you, yeah, you know, you get rid of, because you got, yeah. you, you have these, these cognitive muscles that just need yeah. to be used in certain ways. And so it makes perfect sense. This is my favorite, one of my very favorite, why are you a Christian anecdotes, which is from the good Christian fun podcast when the comedian Lisa Gilroy was on and she moved from Canada. Uh, and I don't remember where, I don't know if she's Mennonite or what, but she's like moved to Hollywood and at first I was feeling kind of weird about being Christian. And then people were talking about charging their crystals by the moonlight. And I was like, shit, I'm just going to be a Christian. This that, That's actually really true. Like, so the other day I was talking with a friend who's like very, very religious and very, very evangelical. And, and he's working in this modeling religion project. And he says to him, he, he says to me, like in a conversation about, the post evangelical expressions of, of religion, right? Like, so he's frustrated as a conservative evangelical that so many turn into like, I'm into astrology or the tarot or whatever, some thing that has less objective scientific reference than like any historic wisdom tradition. Right. Like, and he has, and he says, well, in that case, I made a case to my very atheist friend. Now that all these secular European countries have this rise in like new age spirituality, you might just wish they were Lutheran. <laughs> and what's funny was hit about his response, right? That, that there were secular academics that were like, if I had to pick between somebody that just went to church on Sunday, but also went along with the European nation state in their social democratic order or someone who was like, well, I tossed some cards out or I charged my crystal. He's just like, why are we going backwards? And I think yeah. part of it was that, you know, the, the mega structure of there of is the something person. interesting there, maybe for a future episode about what, like to what extent the revival of like neo-paganism as opposed to just atheism is an actual sort of like self-contained religious thing and to what extent it is a critique of colonialism basically and imperialism and sort of religious imperialism like uh you know we're aware of uh friends of ours uh, neighbors of our friends who are who I identify as germanic and they are like germanic neo-pagans in Scandinavian countries, this is a thing of like reclaiming the Norse mythology before Christians came in. But I, I sort of doubt that for most of them, it's like Odin is real and Loki is real and more like you guys for coming in and destroying our culture, which I get a lot more than there are hundreds of demigods and this one's mine. Which some it's people just maybe sadly really like the major like protest to Christendom for white people is the Proud Boys. Like most of the Proud Boys, you just yeah. wish stayed at their Baptist church. You like if you could just complain about prayer not being in schools and evolution, things would be better. But instead, yeah. Uh, anybody else have any thoughts on on Trip's question before we wrap up here? Sarah hadn't even answered. 
about what the difference what the what's the difference between a community like say a small group of people are like oh we like the enneagram and a small group that are like we love beth more but the community does beautiful things in all those people's lives they become more loving to themselves their neighbor and their enemy yeah yeah i'm not one to apologize the enneagram um I'm not. I don't. No, I mean, no, no. Ontologizing the enneagram just is a trigger word. You know, it just makes any ontologist. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it is different. The way I experience it is different because I do not experience it as a thing that has rules or is um, in any way policed. And I think those other groups might be, but I know that I could be different from other people who are subscribing to enneagram mythology. I think the danger, though, and in one level, there's qualitative similarity between the two groups. I think when you compare kind of the the narrative of the explanatory kind of meaning generating narrative of the Enneagram versus kind of the explanatory meaning generate, generating kind of narrative of kind of the, the, the Christian tra- trajectory in scripture and in, in tradition, uh, I just think like the, the scope is, is just going to be much different, right? Uh, and also uh, someone might be claiming to be Enneagram Jesus, but that's not going to be act, the actual Jesus, right? And so I think that's going to be a big difference between those two narratives. Uh, and I think too that one of the, uh, and I've talked about this with Dan before, but one, one of the things though that I'm becoming like, increasingly kind of more more sensitive to and this you mentioned James before while William Clifford was kind of a uh, I was often paired with James right in Clifford's famous essay about just being evidence-based and kind of having kind of an evidential standard for what we should think is true about the world and there's interesting questions to be had about what counts as evidence and and you know do we need to automatically discount kind of religious experiences having evidential value having said that well, the danger in putting your, all your hope in the Enneagram narrative, even with Jesus dust, dust mixed in, is that it's not evidence based, right? Jesus or, does. And so, like the and and there are there are indirect neg. So even if in virtue of their Enneagram belief, it results in kind of good fruits in a certain domain of life, there are negative societal side effects if if you know if if you kind of adopt something for for the for the wrong reasons if you think it's evidence-based and it's not and i think that there are some some social negative implications for discounting sound evidence so that so that's that's i mean that's that, those are hard an things example, to parse out let me give an example of that a real world example one of my friends is a one he is a perfectionist. He has his view of how things ought one. to go. You're postulating He's hypothetically his oneness. a one. I'm postulating <laughs> his oneness. And sometimes he will recommend things to me or say things to me, and I will dismiss him by thinking, ah, it's just him being a one. But here's the thing. If him being a one is not real, then I should not dismiss him for it. And how do I know if being one is real? rigorous testing and study and comparing other people's experiments to mine and whatever, like to just say, this has been helpful to me. And then inevitably I end up using it to dismiss my friends. Uh, that's where, again, Sarah, your and I experience of how people use the Enneagram seems to have been quite different. And, and my own 
use of it sort of uh, subconsciously or semi-consciously is I end up using it as a reason to not have to listen to certain things by certain people if I can control for their Enneagram number and then explain it away. But if their Enneagram number is f***ing fake or a but figment part, of so part something... part of you thinks it is true. But, if you are right. that knee-jerk about it. Well, I do think there are personality types and that any decent personality test will reveal something about them. But what I'm saying is if it was like, oh, someone's telling me to not go on a trip and I know that they score low on openness to experience. Well, that's real. That has been verified cross-culturally or whatever to control for that is different than controlling for possibly arbitrary Enneagram numbers. Trip is giving me the most dismissive. Body I just don't understand why right if now. you're, if you're in a group of people that uses Enneagram numbers and it helps you value yourself because you understand your woundedness or whatever differently yeah. and look at yourself through what your strengths are. And then it helps you reflect on how to relate to other people better. Like why you give it a hard time. I also am yeah. very postmodern enough to know, like every time someone uses the word empirical, rational and stuff, I just get cynical and just think, how insecure are you? That's what goes <laughs> to my head. And having spent quite a bit of time recently talking to lots of scientists, I realized that their their defense mechanism is to locate all their insecurities in some really specific thing that they think everything they know about really tells them about that thing. And if you just ask a few questions related to it, they don't know either. And some the more modernity is a giant guys. I'm not saying that helps like the Enneagram. I think it just means that if you're with a group of people that uses some framework to make you less shitty humans, like the idea that you say to yourself, well, Dan and Myron were really suspicious of this on this you had permission episode. So I think I'm going to not enjoy my small group. And be less shitty to everybody because empiricism, (laughs) then I grow up. Because even Dan and Myron are going to be like, don't stop being shitty to people. So, but like, are we all saying like collectively, this is like literally a group that was formed by people that got together to hang about, like hang out, talking about theology and science. Who's specifically related to psychology. So anytime science can help, we're like, But in the meantime, maybe Lord of the Rings memes and or the Enneagram and uh, other things might help. But I'm just saying, like, I feel like the mystery of human subjectivity is the main problem for every every religion, every religious tradition, every philosophy. And the idea that someone's going to have like some conceptual closure to it is crazy, but you won't get closer to it. If you don't have a shared discourse to work it out with people that see you living your life, right? There's a reason I was a better human being with accountability partners obsessed with stupid purity codes because they saw me living my life and helped me work it out in other ways. You don't have anything to do with other things. 
You know, trip, like, is, trip, trip is really illustrating right now the problem with so much uh, people who views of who've really drunk deeply at the well of postmodernism. Because on the one hand, oh, you are employing so much. I just <laughs> stopped building John Caputo's website to talk to you. <laughs> you are employing a normative framework while saying that you're eschewing kind of normative frameworks, right? But Myron anyway. is performing. Dan, Dan's, Dan's wow. rolling Myron in Myron is performing. Myron's performing like the reformed epistemology <laughs> critique Ew. of postmodernism okay, that literally everyone <laughs> that does it thinks is so funny they don't have to respond to. But, you know, it's starting to sound like a homebrewed episode too much oh, where is, we're not defining Ew. our terms. It's a teaser. Oh, well, no, no. Concrescence, lure, subjective aim. <laughs> okay, you're just naming whitehead terms. Okay, and experientialism. Trip, I do actually very much appreciate your little mini sermon, whatever that was, rant against me. I actually liked it a lot. I'm going to give – I feel and like the three I, of us I, guys you – You're the only person I haven't told their specific Lord of the Rings moment to. I got to tell it to you. I told, <laughs> okay, let's hear I, it. Uh, Sari and Myron both had their Sam moments. Sarah, I gave a very intense commitment. Like now, it's a very specific – so, okay – Oh, hold on, I'm pulling it up because I'm tempted to quote SNL drunk uncle. I think you might be a little too drunk. No, I haven't <laughs> got there yet. No, but we have two twos. We got a four. Yeah. And then you're in that you're like three. seven, three hybrid space. Yep. yep. And I'm like, you're a Pippin. This is my mm. like, come down on like, just clarifying your space. Is it your, is it, you really are a seven because this conversation with Pippin and Gandalf in the battle in book six, um, okay. which is movie three, if people haven't read the books, Pippin says, because he thinks he's about to die. He says, I didn't think it would end this way. Gandalf says, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass, and then you will see it. Now, Pippin here knows that Gandalf the White was Gandalf the Gray. He doesn't understand what's happened because he hasn't actually been. But present. he knows he's been there and back. He wasn't, but sense. he didn't hear the yeah. story. That was the other okay. side of the fellowship that heard the whole story with what okay. happened after. And he goes, "What, Gandalf? See what?" Gandalf says. White shores and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise. Now, if we all know what Pippin says repeatedly in his descriptions of Middle Earth, the swiftness of the moves between seasons and between parts of the day or the ways he knows he's home. And so what does Gandalf say? White shores and beyond a far green country under a swift sunrise, right? Your home Pippin. And Pippin says, well, that isn't so bad. And Gandalf says, no, no, it isn't. And he pulls his sword and so resolve for life. Hell yeah. That's what I'm talking about. If you're talking about you have permission, you have permission is sitting in those questions asking the Gandalf. He brings amazing ass people on his podcast every week. He has lots of questions and all these things. And what is, what is it? That Dan Koch is asking, he wants to have permission 
to say that's not so bad. Pull his sword out as a little motherfucking hobbit and say that's not so bad and go into some crazy ass fight. That's why I think it's an accurate depiction of you. And that's why the Enneagram is obviously objectively, empirically, completely accurate. And the world would be better <laughs> off if we just erased it. <laughs> okay, I'm convinced. Listeners, if you enjoyed if you enjoyed the last fifteen to twenty minutes, you should listen to every homebrewed happy hour episode you can get your hands on. That's what I'll say. I think we need to give you Sarah and Sari just embrace I, it. I You're appreciate pippin'. that. I'm gonna be chewing on it for a little bit. I, I don't mean to dismiss you. Uh, that's interesting. I really relate to the part where Pippin's like, Gandalf, how the hell can I know what it's going to be like? And then Gandalf says it. And I say, that doesn't sound bad at all. I like that. But then secretly I'm like doubting that I can know that it's like that. That's, that's what I really, what did Pippin do? Mm. He had the courage to go from there all the way up to the steward of the King, try to break up and burn his son. Pop an edible, get in there. He did pop an edible and or South Farthing. No, I just, I, I guess I, I like that. And I feel that's interesting. I do have, I do feel like more or less, I have the courage to continue living this life of faith and, and, you know, making this show and pursuing the degree and eventually working with people in the office and researching and stuff. I will keep going. And I also resonate with the not, really having all that much confidence or certainty about it as I keep with the, the other, and I would love more. The other scene I was going to think of is, are you trying to get me to like the Enneagram? Trip? No. Well, Stop yes, it. obviously I'm trying to get you to like the Enneagram and or J.R. Tolkien, but the, no, he's just trying to get you to be a better human being through any means yeah. necessary. So, oh. so, but he's also sitting there in front of the steward of Gondor. Right. And he says, can't you sing and do all this stuff? He's like, we hobbits don't have songs for this. And then he asked him to sing the song. Right. And he comes up with this song about like heartfelt sorrow from the Shire, but it doesn't fit for someone who just commanded his son and all these people to go try to retake a space. Right. And, and I feel like so many times, one of the things you try to give people permission to do is to ask questions and admit heartache where the language they have, the songs that they can sing don't fit the actual felt expression of pain and suffering because they're bigger. And so one of the gifts of you have permission is saying, Pippin, your song is good enough. Yeah. It didn't make sense for a King. So desiring power. And if you can't possess it, he'd rather commit his son to death, right? Trying to retake uh, the river. Anyway, like I feel There's like so there are multiple places. Lord of the Rings backstory knowledge than I have. Are you yeah. saying that are you saying that for me to criticize the Enneagram is to basically undermine the purpose of my show? Uh, basically, you should <laughs> tell Myrony's wrong until Sarah and Sarah they're right. All right, well, we're gonna we need to let Sarah Sarah go to sleep and Sari get back to work with our time zone differences. But I want to give them one more chance to close us out here because I feel like the boys have done more talking than the ladies here today. Well, what, what Tripp was just doing the way he loved, you know, sharing these passages um, and reflections on those passages with each one of us. And there was like a custom one for each one of us 
even Aww. Myron and I, who have different, who have the same Enneagram, but he had different passages, differently nuanced for each one of us based on his understanding of us. But I think that's what draws us to things like the Enneagram because it's hitting on the human need of just wanting to be like really seen and really known and yeah. and loved and it loved in spite of all of that. And so it's like, I think I'm alone. I think I'm the only one that feels this way. I think, you know, I can hardly explain my experience, much less communicate it. You know, I hardly understand my experience, much less communicate it to someone else. You know, how could I ever feel even like deeply loved, you know? So hmm. I think that that's what kind of draws us to things like the Enneagram, but there's, no way that that should be the only or even the primary way that we, you know, go after that, that stuff. And also it shouldn't only be empirical. We shouldn't only understand ourselves via empirically verified means like the experience of like trip reading me a passage from Lord of the Rings and saying how it reminds me of him. You know, there's been, there's been no, no science around that. So (laughs) Um, it's, I think it's important to the human experience to, that's a good, that's a good angle. Sarah, I mean, before you pass yeah, out, I know, right. It's, so it's like 1230 at night here in Scotland and I have an, a baby. So there's that. And you're not seven to eight drinks in like trip. True. But I'm like, I feel like sleep deprivation. Plus half of this, half of like this the same thing. is for her. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to argue here that the, the Enneagram is, the scientifically, you know, gold standard personality test or anything. Very similar to Sari. I just, I think people are all wanting to be known, seen, loved, and we seek connection. We want to, we, we want to fit in. We want, we want to be able to know that we're in true relationship with other people who are really getting who we are and accepting us as the people that we are. And the Enneagram for a lot of people has just been a framework for understanding and for knowing and for feeling other people and our own experiences in a way that's been pretty powerful. And I completely acknowledge that it's not a scientifically robust tool, but it, it is a tool or a modality or an aesthetic or a, an, an artistic framework that has provided a language or a space for a lot of people to be able to feel that who they are is okay and is a way of experiencing themselves in the world that is congruent and consistent and identifiable with for a lot of other people. And that's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing to feel that you are not alone and that who you are is okay. And that even if who you are is not, you know, easily, categorized on the scientifically verifiable tests that are are available that yeah you're okay and there is a there, there, there is a way for you to thrive in your own life and in connection with others and i don't think that needs to be uh empirically verified in, in order for it to be valuable i would love for it to have more congruence with the sciences but the fact that it does not does not deter me from affirming its value well I think we're going to let you guys have the last word and that might be partly because I am softened by your pleas, your cases. And it might also be because I'm on the downslope of a gin and tonic and two beers 
and now I, my serotonin levels are dropping. Either way, I'm going to I'm going to take the I'm not going to close it out nor am I going to let Myron close it out with some negative views. I think we got we got plenty of chances to express ourselves in this uh, very long conversation. As did Trip. Thank you guys so much, Sarah. That one of the phrases you said was to be really known and accepted by people, and that's how I feel about you guys as my friends, and I know you all feel that about each other. And so that's a nice, kind, collegial, congenial way to end our conver- to end Warm our fuzzies yeah. two plus hour debate on the most popular idea in evangelical Christianity <laughs> today. The I want to man. place bets on how many. I was going to say, what, one what? plays bets on how many comments the thread of this post in your private group will have <laughs> on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a lot. Of, there's going to be what's the over be? the over under is maybe seventy. No, no, comments no, I was going to put it at like, like four ninety nine. So what's the <laughs> over under going to be? Would you take the over a hundred? Over a hundred yeah. for sure. <laughs> well, if it's definitely take over hundred. That's, that's easy. But do you think part of the interest in the enneagram is people feeling alienated from any? like larger story that gives them a framework and like the reason you ask right like the reason you ask do you have permission i'm a huge charles taylor fan and lots of reasons like we don't have to go into all of them but like the canadian philosopher which i'm sure like either triggers or affirms myron in lots of ways but like if you ask like do, do you have permission question like charles taylor response is in what community right like and so when you have had a community that gave you permission to talk about your finitude, meaning, purpose, value, goals, what integrity in relationships look like, and then you lose it. Did it, like the idea that you'll look to almost anything that has like a history and integrity to find it isn't surprising. I feel like a lot of our investment. If you just go to like critiquing things so that they, because they don't feel comfortable with some orthodoxy, that's problematic, mm-hmm. right? It, it, as much as I may be comfortable being in one of those spaces, I think the more important question is like, are you directing people to communities? And we mean small group communities, like whether you tell the truth about yourself, where there's some framework. To, for people to speak into your life, for you to speak out of your life, and to move towards a greater wholeness, justice, and beauty. Like, And if you're in one of those spaces, like, don't lose sleep about anything anyone said. Because yeah. everyone's still trying to figure out how to be human. That's not immediately yeah, this clear. Is like, my, my critiques are more like they're a bit academic. I'm just thinking that like 80% of the people listening to your podcast are probably pissed. <laughs> that's what i'm thinking I like, did. i've never done a I, podcast yeah. on the enneagram i've done 1200 episodes of homebrew christianity with zero about the enneagram because i know that if i told them what i really thought they'd be pissed <laughs> and you were like i'm at episode 101 <laughs> and i'm like i've been 15 years <laughs> in chad who started the podcast with me he's since passed but was an enneagram fan from one of like from the beginning and I was I made fun of the Enneagram then he was like it's reasonable and then I was like maybe and then I was like maybe not but regardless like there's no chance I would touch this you're gangster for doing it that's what I think Dan. well I do think I was I forgot to say this at the beginning but I, I realized that like in the space that I'm in I am far more likely to lose 
followers and listeners criticizing the Enneagram than I am to be like gay affirming or not believe in hell <laughs> or any of the stuff that gets like evangelical professors fired and pastors of like do not f- the with Enneagram, my Enneagram Dan. canceled you know like and it's not even in the Bible wait uh, but what? yeah that's true <laughs> we'll see we'll see what happens perhaps the download counts will go down but so be it guys thank you so much for joining me and actually, Trip, thank you for that little benediction for people. If you are, if you find it useful, I'm not trying to tell you not to. Again, if you were my client and you brought it in, we would talk about it and find all the meaning. I'm having a, I'm making a higher level critique about where do we encourage people to find meaning and might we do better than the Enneagram. But for those of us who have already found meaning in the Enneagram, find meaning in it. Use it to go deeper for sure. Um, I would just say like one thing quick, Dan, is like when you say that, lots of people don't know how much intentional decision someone makes about what goes on the Internet. And it's real. Right. Like and so you're affirming. And I think that's like really important here. Like even if you're feeling critical, Dan's wanting to affirm any of your experiences that were positive with the Enneagram while still keeping open critically. That's what I heard in that, but you may not have heard it because we were all playing in chess because we're all best friends. But Dan wasn't diminishing anyone's positive experience. He was playing with his friends and trying to lure us to more positive affirmations. Like the Lord himself of process thought, luring us to something better. No, that's blasphemous. Um, All right. Thank you, you. guys. I love to get reason to hang out with all of you. And my favorite Me thing too. is that I have two Sams in the oh. Theosite group. Isn't that awesome? Oh yeah, that's good. Everyone two needs Sam. two Sams. Double the Sam. No wonder the Ooh. no wonder our Sam friend squared. group is so healthy. We got a couple <laughs> yeah. Sams here. All right. Well, there aren't a lot of show notes. The only show note is that Christianity Today article, which I will link to, which might be behind a paywall. Sometimes their stuff is. Oh well. And we'll see you next week. Thank you guys for listening. Smoochy boochies. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks to Josh Gilbert for editing this conversation with a very quick turnaround, much quicker than normal. He edits most of these episodes, almost all of them, and he's available for additional editing work. His email is in the show notes. And thanks, of course, to my guests, my friends, for joining me for this really enjoyable tongue-in-cheek episode. Patreon.com slash Dan Koch, which is also in the show notes if you want to join the Patreon community. And we will see you guys next week. Everyone gets AT&T's best deal on the new iPhone 14. So people currently listening to comedy podcasts and people listening to self-help podcasts and people listening to true crime podcasts who actually can't stop listening to true crime podcasts. The point is everyone, new and existing customers, ask how to get the new iPhone 14 on us with eligible trade-in. Visit att.com or stores for details. Terms and restrictions may apply.